You're listening to Main Character Energy, a podcast that'll teach you how to become that bitch. Main Character Energy gives you a behind the scenes look at how some of the world's most impactful disruptors, innovators, and creatives came from the bottom and embodied what it means to make it in all forms. Now, let's get into the show. So in this episode, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, taking up space, something that I'm constantly reminding myself of on this journey. And while I feel as though I do stand in my own nowadays and take a lot less shit than I probably used to, it was not always this way. And I immediately think about the interlude from Flawless from Chimamanga and Gozi Adiche, where she says we teach ourselves to shrink and make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. And I always felt this way in my life, but mostly my career. And I think a lot of women can relate. So that's a huge reason why I started Main Character Energy. Just as a reminder, like Issa hyping herself up in the mirror or your best friend giving you that pep talk that you need before you do something major. Sometimes we need these reminders to take up space believe your voice is valid, and stand 10 toes down for what you believe in. Like tennis pro, my girl, Coco Goff, at just 19 years old, as a Black woman, in a space that is not dominated by Black women, advocating for herself during the U.S. Open match when she realized that she wasn't being treated fair, her opponent was breaking the rules and getting away with it, So by making her voice heard to those officials when shit wasn't right and having the audacity to just ask for fairness and ask for a correction, which everyone, even the commentators agreed with, is a perfect example of taking up space, knowing that you do belong in these spaces and you deserve to be treated fairly. I love to see Black women take up space. Like, it is my favorite genre. And so many Black women have been forging their own paths in the last few years. In this episode, we talk a lot about, you know, when you don't feel like there's space for you in even like corporate environments or, you know, settings that you you feel like you're outgrowing, that a lot of people kind of turn to entrepreneurship. And it's not for everybody, but those who do, you know, there's been huge numbers of, of Black women you know, turn into entrepreneurship and starting their own businesses to have their own spaces. I mean, Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America right now. But at the same time, Black women receive less than 0.35%, less than 1% of all VC funding. And as if that wasn't already a barrier, we have threats now. I have been seething over the fact that Fearless Fund, which is a you know fund that directly supports and gives money to Black-owned businesses and Black entrepreneurs so that they can succeed. I mean, I've applied for plenty of grants from them. Like it's a fantastic, you know, nonprofit, but conservatives like, you know, Edward Blum, his nonprofit recently sued Fearless Fund and tried to say that. <laughs> that the grant program is discriminatory because it caters to Black women entrepreneurs, which is insane. I mean, the piece of the pie that we get compared to, you know, non-Black founders, it's not even close. 
So I'm loving that, you know, of course, Fearless Fund's fighting back. There are so many people who have come together to make sure that, you know, these attacks kind of go to the wayside and that we take up the space that we deserve. We deserve to be in spaces where we're starting our own businesses and succeeding and doing the damn thing. So that's all I have to say about that. So real quick, we have to talk about a few things. Number one, I'm very excited for this new book that just came out. My favorite genre of like true crime is basically like scamming founders, <laughs> scamming entrepreneurs, like all those types of documentaries on Netflix and Hulu I can't get enough of. And a book recently just came out about Glossier and like their rise and fall, basically. It's called Glossy by Marissa Metzler. And I have to get my hands on this. She basically does a bunch of in-depth interviews from former Glossier employees and investors. And they even talked to Emily Weiss, who ran, I think she stepped down, but ran Glossier. And I just got to see, like, I mean, there's so many things that people kind of talk about in the book, you know, recounting their experiences with just like, you know, being poorly treated or, you know, certain policies that were kind of like unsavory. And it's fascinating to me because Glossier was so hot at one point. I mean, so many brands tried to replicate Glossier, like it was in its height during the girl boss era. And so as we slowly come out of that bullshit and take a look, like step back and take a look at how, you know, we're running these companies and, and you know, how these brands are succeeding, I think this is going to be like a great study recount. So we'll let you know how that is. And other news, I also can't stop looking at the Delta drama. Delta this week at the time of this recording just dropped their new loyalty program and the girls are fighting. I love to see the pushback because truly Delta is basically like pushing out their middle class like loyalty members. And if you know me, you know, I'm such a Delta girly. Like I feel like Delta has the most loyal airline base like ever. You know, I don't, I feel like I do not see American Airline or United people like going this strong for a brand. I think like Southwest probably has another strong one thanks to those checked bags. But this is such an interesting like kind of like PR nightmare that's happening with Delta because essentially all the Delta loyalists are just feeling betrayed because you know, we spend so much money on these cards. They're saying that, you know, you can only go to the Sky Club when you are a card holder of the Amex co-branded, you know, Delta cards. You can only go like six times or 10 times, depending on what card you have. And then that's it. And then if you wanted to go unlimited, you have to spend like $75,000. And it's disrespectful, honestly, like for people who literally go out of their way to flight Delta, Delta's not like the cheapest tickets. But it's a great brand, great experience, and it brings people back time and time again. I think that this is such a misstep from Delta, obviously, as somebody who wants to keep climbing the ranks in like my status. It's going to be a lot harder starting in 2025. So many people are talking about like canceling their cards or, you know, being loyal to other airlines or even kind of taking a step back and saying, am I going to be a loyalist to any airline at all or am I just going to? you know, go for what's what works in the moment for what I need to do. 
So I'm definitely reassessing, but I'm more so just kind of like watching how Delta responds to this. I think that Delta actually had a huge opportunity to really make their customers happy because all the other airlines have been dropping the ball so bad lately that this actually could have been a moment for them to step up and make customers happy. And even if the sky clubs and the lounges, you know, and all the airports were kind of getting crowded there, I think there could have been a better way than to basically exclude so many people from the benefits that they've loved for so long. Like the main reason why I have the top tier Amex Delta co-branded card is because I do love all the perks that come with it, but it's at the point where now paying for that card might not even be worth it because I'm not even getting all the benefits that I used to. So we'll stay tuned and see how that goes, but that's this week in the news. Okay, so up next, we're sitting down with Shanae Brown, a leadership coach who specializes in helping Black women take up space and thrive in their corporate careers. She's the founder of No Cream in This Coffee, a career and talent development company working to advance more Black women into leadership positions. So I can't wait for you guys to hear that next. Okay, hello and welcome back to Main Character Energy. I'm sitting down with Shanae Brown, who I've been dying to talk to. Shanae, when I first came across your platform, I immediately said to myself, where was this when I was climbing the corporate ladder? You must get that a lot. Yes. Oh my gosh. That means so much to me. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. I really mean it. And I mean, the mission to specifically help Black women take up space and thrive, I know is one that you have been really working towards and something that kind of came natural to you obviously because of your lived experiences, but just because of the need for this conversation in this space. So I'm really excited to dive into this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your inspiration behind your work and No Cream in This Coffee? Yeah, so I was just really tired of some of the messages that were sent to Black women. I think we've all been conditioned to play small, to worry about how everyone else perceives us. We have to make everyone else feel comfortable. And I just got to a point personally on my sort of like self-healing journey. And it was like, okay, this is not effective and this is not sustainable. So I started No Cream in This Coffee initially as a platform to combat some of those messages that we were receiving. Then in 2020, I think we all just we're at a pivotal sort of time in history. And I don't know about you, Tiff, but I felt like we were finally getting the support that we needed from all these big corporations. Like they were saying the right things. It seemed like we were given a bit of hope. Like, okay, like people get it. We were all sat still and saw, you know, the racial injustices, everything that was happening. So it was like, you cannot deny what's happening in this world because during the pandemic we were all at home right so it's like literally coming to our front step and i was just like okay so now we have the support i felt hopeful but then also in the back of my mind i felt like uh it's gonna take a little bit of time to actually really change some of these things because when we look at systemic racism and look at how corporate america was impacted I know that it's going to take, 
years before we really start seeing it. So I decided I was going to shift the direction of no cream in this coffee and tackle systemic racism within corporate America, but do it by reaching one black woman at a time. I felt like I had a better opportunity to just grab one black woman and say, hey, sis, it's time to take up space. Hey, girl, it's time to make sure that you were confident in that interview. It's time to leave the old playbook of keep your head down and work. And let's really start changing and shifting the culture. So that was a long answer of how I got the inspiration. But that's really what it came down to. Yeah, it's so important. And like you said, we had so much attention on these issues. So everybody was, like you said, sat ready to kind of you know, put their energy towards a good cause. But I think an important thing about what you just said is that you are tackling this work and thank you for tackling this work. It's very hard work and it is something that takes, you know, time to, you know, all this undoing. And especially for us, one black woman at a time, all the unlearning. And Mm. again, I wish I had, you know, more of that rhetoric around. I really want to talk about those barriers that Black women have to go through to get that seat at the table or even to be a part of just the conversation and the role that they're in and not be so overlooked for raises and promotions. I know that when I was in my position, uh, one of the positions that I've had before I went full-time freelance was, you know, like you said, keep your head down, Or, you know, just kind of like go to work, don't show up as your full self, just kind of, you know, we're code switching constantly. It's something that we're doing without even thinking about it. It's like a second language for us to code switch. And then, you know, other things like manage up and then always keep a paper trail. So those are some of the things that I kind of remember were ingrained in me. So yeah, I'd love to kind of hear more about your experience with, you know, before you started this space for this type of conversation, what you were hearing. Yeah. So just based on my personal experience, so I think I had shared this with you before. I'm first generation corporate, so there was no blueprint handed to me on how to navigate certain situations. I came in the door super excited to have access to corporate opportunities. But also, I'm like, okay, I'm going to climb this ladder. I'm going to get promoted. All my life, I've been told, you just need to work hard. And then (laughs) that's it. But when you get into corporate, you realize that your hard work is not really going to cut it, right? There's people who are building relationships. There's people who have sponsors. There's people who, who have advocates, right? So I think one of the barriers that we face as we enter the workforce is one, lack of sponsorship. So having access to senior leadership who can say, hey, you know, Shanae would be a great fit for this position that's open, even though it's on another team. Also, having managers who support us. There was a the Lean In study with McKinsey called Women, Women in the Workplace, and it had highlighted that Black women specifically, only about 24% said they had access to a sponsor or a manager who actually, where they felt supported, right? And I could be messing that up, so somebody double check that. But it was a very small number, and it just goes to show that 
We are not getting the support that we need to grow our career. We are not getting access to the same opportunities. People are not advocating for us. And I'm like, if we want people to advocate for us, we have to do it first. We have to come in the door knowing our value, knowing our worth, and knowing that I'm an asset to any company that I join, period. Yes. And it, like you said, it's something that we don't innately have. And even in my experience, also, just like you, like first generation corporate, as I'm climbing the ladder, I'm realizing that the reality versus expectations were so different. I mean, I always talk about how when I was in college, I was like go-getter, like doing every club, you know, president of clubs, all the internships, all the extra hours doing, you know, all types of things to get to that point that I'm like a star candidate or, you know, I'm ready to be in the workforce. And I was so excited to get out there and shine. And it's crazy how <laughs> the real world will beat you down. And even going into it, I will say, like I had, because of a program, I'm very, very fortunate to have had this one program in my college where we were assigned mentors in our communications program. Mm -hmm. And even with those mentors, I definitely got a foot in the door, but down the line, it doesn't really trickle down to the rest of the support that you might need. So I feel like even my sponsorship didn't carry me maybe as far as sponsorship for non-Black women, to be honest with you, just because of the other barriers we face, especially with managers and having to constantly leave managers. For sure, for sure. And I think that I feel like mentorship and sponsorship is very tricky. And I say that specifically around as I think about mentorship, because I've had mentors and I think I may have shared this with you already, but <laughs> I've had mentors who pretty much would tell me to shrink or change pieces of myself. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm not really the type of person who wants to shrink. <laughs> but I've had mentors like I remember working on a working at a company and I was talking about some reality show. At the time, I really loved Ratchet TV. <laughs> so I loved the love and hip hop. I loved like, and this is how long ago this was, right? But I loved Ratchet TV. And at the time, Rob and China had their reality show. And I remember telling my manager who I thought was like, you know, like a mentor to me. And I remember telling her, we were talking about the show. And she was like, oh, she's been watching it. And I was watching it. She's like, well, don't ever mention this to anyone else. And I'm like, why do I have to hide pieces of who I am? Like, the shit is funny. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that. But it's a, <laughs> like, it's a funny show. And it was just so much drama. But it's little things like that, right? The messages that we receive that it's not okay to show up as you. It's not okay because someone may or may not think something negative about you. And I'm like, that's on them. No, so, so it's on them. And that completely reminds me of Insecure. And the episode when Molly was in the law office with like the other black girl. Yes. yes. And remember, she was like, you know, I just I like how I just assume, you know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. um, but <laughs> she was in that episode just kind of being herself out loud. And I remember Molly was like cringing because she was like, you know, I think you should basically what your mentor said to you, tone like kind of tone it down, keep it low key. And that was such I think that was the first time, definitely the first time in like in a television portrayal or pop culture, seeing something like that. And it just shows that that's the black experience in the workplace. 
Yeah, that we have to tone it down. We have to make sure that everyone's comfortable. We have to walk on eggshells, but we're literally walking on eggshells for eight, nine hours a day. That's exhausting. That is exhausting coming into a place that you are spending that much time and not being able to say, yeah, I watched the show or I went here. I know sometimes my clients are like, I don't have a lake house to go to on a weekend. Like I'm at brunch with my friends throwing back mimosas. Like, okay, it's okay to share that your weekend activities look different. Yeah, they do. But I mean, it's so real that I remember just being in a a nonprofit position where I started out completely being like, I'm not hiding myself. I'm going to be me. And it was fine until it wasn't type of thing where then, you know, you feel like people use things against you. And I remember I would try to be open. Like I went to brunch, I did this. And then I remember like that environment and all that switching and all that, like, you know, trying to navigate that workplace and the toxicity of it It resulted in me towards the end deciding like, I'm not sharing anything. They're not going to know about my life. And it's, it really sucks. It's one of those things where like you kind of start off strong and it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm. Because then as soon as you stop being that open and sharing, I remember when I was like, I'm going to be more reserved. These people don't deserve to know me, my full self. And now it's, oh, you know, you're being quiet and what's up with her? And now it's an attitude thing. So it's, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. But what if we took the approach of if this space is not welcoming or receptive to that version of me, maybe this isn't the space for me. And I know that's coming from a place of privilege and especially in this job market, right, where it's super competitive. But I want more Black women to recognize when the space is shrinking them. We've normalized this so much and we have to start taking back our power and saying, this isn't worth me. My gifts are better utilized somewhere else and finding those spaces where we could thrive. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about like some of the mindset like shifts and some of the mental blocks that that comes with. Because when I think back to positions where, yeah, you're shrinking yourself or even thinking about like girlfriends of mine who have also been in those positions where they're shrinking themselves, but they stay too long. And I'm thinking, what could have that been? Like a lot of times it was, you know, a little bit of a scarcity mindset or thinking that there's not another opportunity like this or saying, you know, I'm going to tough it out because they're not going to like run me out of here. Like, what do you hear a lot from your clients when it comes to staying in positions that shrink them for too long? I think by the time some of my clients get to me, they're already at that point where it's clearly too, too long, right? They're like, I need something new. I'm ready for that next step. But I think if you're overstaying you're welcome i would say um by that point if you realize like for me if i get headaches if i know that i'm dreading going into the office every day like headaches are like my sign of like it's time to bounce right and i've had this symptom every every company that i've worked at when i know like it's time to bounce so pay attention to your body like how do you feel are you clammed up are you you know, tense, you know, unclench your jaw, like pay attention to your body, pay attention to how you feel, and then start putting together an exit strategy. It's not going to happen overnight. 
but you can start putting together your plan to exit that organization. And going back to like some of the mental blocks, one of the biggest mental blocks that I see is that we may think that we're so grateful that the company chose us. Like they gave us an opportunity. They took a chance on us. And one of the things that I like to remind my clients is your resume got you the interview. Your ability to answer the questions and demonstrate that you can do the job and do it well got you the job. Your track record got you the job. And I think it's important to remember that, like no one's quote unquote taking a chance on you. The, the company's bottom line is to make money and to be a successful business. They're hiring you because they feel like you can fill a need. Fill that need and when it's time to go, go. It's time to go. It's served, you served them, they served you in whatever way. I would also give advice that, you know, it started to click for me towards my way out of corporate that, that's where your personal brand really comes into play, right? Like use these things that you're learning, take these tools with you, build yourself up, make connections, and you can be on to the next one. But you're always going to, like you said, have your resume, your expertise, these things about you that make you invaluable, and then you level up, move on. Exactly. And I'm so glad you said that because I think the personal brand piece is so important. And I think before I branched out in entrepreneurship full time, I didn't focus as much on that. Like I, I focused on building up no cream in this coffee. Like I was offering workshops. But when it came down to like my personal brand, I was like, damn, I should have been more intentional about this. So that's something that I recommend to clients now. Like, listen, you're only going to be at that company for like the next maybe five years, right? The chances of you doing, I would say, a bid there, very slim to none. Um, so start using LinkedIn, social media, going to networking events, going to the conferences, and really building up your network. So when it is time to jump ship, you can call somebody and say, hey, I see this position at your company. Can you refer me for this position? Yes, exactly. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that you give that advice. And it's really hard to in the moment think to build your personal brand right like i will say and we'll get into this a little bit later but a lot of these things kind of happen out of survival or necessity right like you learning these types of lessons mm -hmm. um but let's talk about the people who you know they do stay in these roles and there's you know they're facing a lot of adversity but they're also really shining and really climbing the ladder i mean you and I talked about how black women are severely underrepresented in these senior leadership positions, only making up 1.6% of VP level roles and 1.4% of C-suite roles. That is minuscule. I hate to see it. Like we know it. We see the uh, the websites and people's you know pages that really lack diversity and all. You know we see it everywhere, but to, the number is definitely you know in your face. I think the number is very alarming and one of the things that I, th I think it's so much unlearning that needs to happen right but when i hear people say you can't do this or you can't say this you can't show up authentically i always go back to these numbers because if this was working the numbers would be higher 
there's so many of us, right, who are afraid to speak up in meetings, afraid to give managers feedback, afraid to share how we really feel, afraid to even show up in an interview with braids, faux locks, a fro, you name it, right? So when I look at these numbers, it tells me that clearly the way we've been doing things is not working. It's time for a new playbook. I love that. It's like, it's just one of these things, like I, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, that we need to hear, we need to have space for it. We need your work out here just so other people can hear it and relate it because as people are going through their day-to-day, sometimes it's, it's the Black women specifically are going through their day-to-day. Things you know can beat you down in these environments where you kind of lose sight of those types of things. So I will say that there's you know, of course, the black women who are rising in the leadership positions and they need your help kind of standing in their power more. So what are some of the tips that you kind of give them to climb that ladder and be confident? Yeah, I think it takes strategy. So I think we have to navigate our careers with more strategy than emotion. And that strategy looks like making sure that you are performing well, right? So obviously we're already trained to work twice as hard, to put in that extra effort, to go that extra mile. So the performance has to allow you to get your name sort of spoken, right? Then I think the next part of that strategy is demonstrating that you are ready for the next level. So sharing your ideas in meetings, not being afraid to say, hey, I have a recommendation. I think we should approach this differently and backing it up with the data, but not just not being afraid to challenge the status quo. And lastly, relationships are so important. Yes, people are climbing the ladder. Yes, you can wait for your manager to see how hard you're working, but it's the relationships that's really gonna take it up a notch. Having those relationships with senior leaders on your team, on you know cross-functional teams, I think that's super important. So maybe having skip-level meetings with your manager's manager, so that way you gain that visibility. You can't depend on your manager to really drive your career forward. So if you want it, it's going to take you doing something differently. And that means getting out of your comfort zone. That means making sure that you're visible within the organization. Maybe you're joining an ERG and taking a leadership position within that ERG. Maybe there's a cross-functional task force that you can volunteer for and get exposure to other people within the organization. Maybe it's like you see something, you asking your manager in your your next one-on-one, like, hey, what can I take off your plate? That's a big one. That one goes so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And so these are the things that we have to do in order to get the recognition and the respect that we deserve. Everyone, especially at the senior leadership level, they want to see that you're thinking about the success of the company. So when you are being put in a position, starting a new job or even trying to advance, think about how you can make an impact with the new organization? How can you contribute to revenue? How can you contribute to a process change, right? Or showing how the team can operate differently. You have to strategize and think about these things so that way you can position yourself to get to that next level. 
I love that. And one thing too, when you talk about like the numbers and, and data and things like that, I mean, people love to see numbers and data. It's like something tangible, right? Like it's very easy to say that you did this, you achieved that. And I will say, always write down your wins, always keep like a folder of your wins or notes about your wins because you will forget over time. I know if I don't write it down, like I'll kind of forget that I did something that was pretty dope. But especially if you have some numbers to back it up, it goes so far. And I feel like that's definitely always like a good secret weapon that ends up working when you have those reviews. For sure. And I so when I'm helping women like prepare for performance reviews, right, I always tell them to think about how you've transformed something because that's when people don't spend the money, right? When we think about transformation, no company wants to stay the same. They want to transform. They want to get better. So think about transformation and you can show that transformation in dollars and process changes, right? Or even just how you save the company time on something. Yeah, just as you're preparing for performance reviews, always keep a brag sheet. So I know you mentioned a folder. Like I give anyone on my mailing list access to a template for a brag sheet. So every quarter I send out a reminder to the mailing list, like, hey girl, update that brag sheet. So that way you get into the habit of speaking about your accomplishments and not only update it, have a quarterly development conversation with your manager. Set it up right after you update that brag sheet, say, hey, I'd like to talk about this thing for what I've done this quarter. And I think it's so helpful because your manager is never going to remember everything that you've done at the end of the year. And a lot of times we think that they, that they should, because I know I used to always be like, she knows what I did. No, not always. (laughs) No, they don't. And I, and it's, and it's natural, right? So I think we have to give managers grace. If a manager has a team of 10 people, they're not going to remember everything that you've done. Hopefully the manager is keeping track, but let's, let's be real here. Not all managers are great leaders, right? or have the time and capacity to keep track of everything. So make it easy for them. And especially if it's money on the line, if you know that your performance review is tied to a rating, tied to a bonus, tied to an increase, you better show up as your best and put your best foot forward. Ooh, that's such a fire tip. I love, love, love the brag sheet. And one thing that I would also encourage, like after you have, let's say, let's take it another step. Like you have the brag sheet that you're updating and then you're setting up time with your manager. Take it another step, like be able to speak about it even when you're updating your friends, right? Or updating family or whatever it might be, like basically conversationally speaking on these things. Cause I think that could be the hard part too. I read this book. I read, have you read Brag Better by Meredith Feynman? Great book. I really, I really appreciated it because especially when you're in that place where you're trying to learn how to speak about your accomplishments better, she really kind of beats it into your head that there's no such thing as a humble brag. Like you're really just speaking facts. Like you're talking about things that you did, right? Like, so being able to talk about these things conversationally and even say, you know, how are things with work? Well, you know, this, that, the other, but kind of delivering it in that way that you would deliver it to your manager, whatever it might be, can kind of help you just be able to make it real or even process it and really affirm that you're doing the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that it's facts because you know how we were just talking about having the data, the numbers to back it up. 
that is a fact, right? If you save the company $2 million by doing X, Y, Z, that is a fact. So I'm so glad that you highlighted that for all the listeners to really understand that it's not bragging. You're stating facts. You're stating facts. And I have a really close friend of mine who does an amazing job. She's incredible at speaking on her accomplishments in a conversational, factual way. Like you can do that and it doesn't feel like you're, it doesn't sound braggy. It doesn't sound like obnoxious. It's just, if anything, it makes me realize what you're doing. It makes me be able to speak on you better. So I think there's a lot of value in being able to like communicate that with even your community and speak your facts. <laughs> absolutely. Speak your facts. I'm definitely taking that away. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> definitely. And, I, and I'm going to need me a brag sheet because I, <laughs> I feel like these, that's really important, especially when it comes to like, I'm thinking about like entrepreneurship and you having a platform and me having a platform. Like we have to kind of figure out ways that we're communicating our value because in, in the same way, it's, it's about the bottom line and money and getting more clients. So I would love to shift, like we talked about climbing the corporate ladder, but let's talk about when, you know, people feel like they're outgrowing spaces and not staying places where they're, you know, feeling shrunken and black women who are forging their own paths and facing challenges, but different types of challenges. Now, before we dive into it, I did want to mention my experience that I alluded earlier to like trauma hopping from job to job and constantly quitting bad bosses. Like I feel like I've had some of the most incredible career opportunities and I'm so grateful. See, again, as black women, we always have to be like, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, but it always was soured by management that I was trying to escape or spaces that were really toxic and I felt really small when I really wanted to be my full self. So when I started my business, it was 50, like I would say it was like 50% passion and all the things that like I love to do and have been doing for years, but also like 50% survival because there was no way I was going to like continue to grow. I wasn't growing at the rate that I felt like I should be growing and not getting the opportunities that I felt like I should have in the spaces I was in. Mm, mm, I felt that. So that's something like just forging your own path is another area that, you know, I could see once you feel like you, you got to take up space in a different way. So how have you, have you had clients that have, you kind of have transitioned into entrepreneurship as well? So not yet. I think a lot of the work that I'm doing is helping Black women navigate corporate. So one of the first things that's in my leadership development program is really outlining what are the barriers that you're going to be up against. And I think when we know that, it's easier to sort of like sidestep it, right? Like to dodge it a bit. So there's trainings embedded into my leadership development programs to say, hey, As a black woman, these are things that you should look out for. And when you are up against these challenges or barriers, here's how you can navigate it. So, yeah. And I think that has been really instrumental because we're seeing more black women say, hey, I don't have to become an entrepreneur if I really don't want it. There is a way for me to enjoy my job navigate these difficult conversations because I know that 
my manager is quote unquote no better than me, right? They're human just like I'm a human. And also just being comfortable setting those boundaries. Sometimes when we get into these positions, we let the hierarchies come into play or like have us feel like, oh, we have to be smaller. And I'm like, mm, no, we're both adults. So we're both peers. <laughs> and I like we're seeing more and more black women become entrepreneurs because corporate has failed us. And one of the reasons why I want to get this work out to so many women, like I said, one black woman at a time is to show that you don't have to go the entrepreneurship route if that's not what you truly want to do. Not just the answer either. Like it's, everyone it's so has, a, yeah, everyone has different stories, different reasons why some people are able to, some people are able to, but don't want to, like, it just depends. Like, but I think that that's great that there can be something there for extra support for people who do want to make it work. I mean, I never even thought that I wanted to get into, it was not like a dream of mine. I, I always saw myself climbing the corporate ladder, being VP, being CMO, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And who knows, that still may be possible, right? Like you can jump, like with your skill set, you can jump back in at any time. Yeah, nothing's now, definite. Right. <laughs> because so I'm, at, I'm at that point now where I've sort of laid the foundation of my business and I was like, I, I'm tired of hearing black women say they can't trust HR. I have an HR background and I'm like, okay, let me go into another company where I can make an impact and show that you can trust HR. HR is there to not only represent the company, but also be an, an employee advocate. And I recognize that a lot of HR professionals don't take that stance, <laughs> which makes it, which makes it a lot harder, but when black women do not go to hr about things i feel like sometimes it makes it harder and if you don't have like you said the paper trail or you're going based off of your emotions and just saying well this like you have to come to hr with the paper trail with the facts but hr needs to be aware of what the hell is going on so that way they can have the conversation with the manager fix it or move you to a different manager. Yeah, Shanae, I breathed like a sigh of relief when you said that. Like, <laughs> HR is supposed to be on your side. I'm like, yes, like, HR is. But but that's another one of those things where you're talking about things we've always been told, like, keep your head down and do this. I was always told, do not trust HR. That was mm. always, like, in the Black Girl Corporate Handbook. They're not your friend. They're there to protect the company. What say you about that? Mm. So... Okay, I've worked with some HR professionals, so I'm just like, eh. I, like I, I probably wouldn't put my money on them. You know, I probably wouldn't put my my trust <laughs> in them. I just feel. being being honest, but and I think half of that is because not because they're not an employee advocate. I think they lack the cultural competency to be able to advocate for people who look like me. Yes, say it again. So. <laughs> That makes a lot of so sense. So I do think that when we look at HR departments, and this is why it's important to have diversity all in every department. In HR, it's important to have diversity. It's important to have it in marketing, sales, you name it, right? But I can understand why there's a hesitation around trusting HR 
because there is a what typically is highlighted is that the woman or the person complained to HR. Next thing you know, they're fired. Right. We've heard this story a lot of times. And in some cases, the employee ends up suing and getting some money out of it, whatever the case may be. And while those cases are typically highlighted, I also want to acknowledge that I know so many Black women in HR who are advocating for us, who are making sure that the workplaces are not harmful because we know how it is to be a Black woman navigating you know, the workplace. I also think it's important for, you know, we have to be comfortable telling HR. And if it's if you feel like HR isn't doing anything, escalate it. Because it may be that particular person who's the roadblock. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm going to take this to their manager. People do it at restaurants all the time. But we don't hear that enough. Like for us, like if somebody had told me that when I was positions, I'd be like, okay, true. Right. But it's like not hearing that. And that's why it's so important that you're saying like, one woman at a time, just hearing that is just not what I ever heard before. Can you imagine like you're having an issue and then you're not getting the support you need from that particular person and then saying like, you know what, that's it. I'm going to quit here. No, No. escalate it. That needs to go to the next (laughs) level, especially when it comes to the fact, like we said, we are all grown here. We're all educated. We're all supposed to be here. There's no fear of these hierarchies but a lot of times we it's I it just kind of for me comes back to us being conditioned a certain way to not cause problems kind of like be quiet and get it done but gone are the days because we need to advocate for ourselves we need to speak up for ourselves and we need to be telling each other these things that you're sharing Absolutely. And I also think we're conditioned to not challenge authority just as a black community. Right. It's it's not safe, typically, to challenge authority when we look at officers and things like that. Right. Or even just managers and bosses, whatever the case may be. So even our parents, <laughs> like yeah, in a yeah. black household, you cannot <laughs> you challenge don't. authority. Right. No. So it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is just unlearning. We have to unlearn all these things and like start to put back the pieces so that way we can have a shift in the culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. It's, it's constant unlearning. Uh, I just also read a book that I really loved. I'm Not Yelling. The author. Have you read that book? I um, haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Amazing. The author, her name is escaping me right now, but I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's Elizabeth. I forgot her. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Elizabeth. I'm like, I I might even have her here. But anyways, in that, I mean, she talks so much about the unlearning and it's, it, it was so validating to kind of hear her experiences and just talking about being kind of like in the education system and being in all types of places where as a black woman, of course, like just the things that you face. And she also was first generation in America and had immigrant parents. So she just talks a lot about unlearning in general. And it made me realize how much I'm even still unlearning to this day from just all these things that we're saying that we've always learned how to act, how to behave, because there comes a point where whether you're trying to advance in your career or trying to make it on your own, 
that you need to stand up <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can't just let things pass you. You can't just be complacent. Like you really need to stand up and you really need to take up space and have boundaries and have, <laughs> Ooh, and have boundaries. What are some of your boundaries when it comes to work? Oh, so I don't like any meetings before 10 a.m. <laughs> Preach. I think meetings before 10 a.m., I'm like, what are you trying to prove? Yeah. Like, it's just so ridiculous. I also block off lunch. That yes. is a boundary. So an hour for lunch and the last hour of my day. So let's say it's like four to five. It's blocked off so I could actually get stuff done and head out. I Those love that. Are- those are some boundaries that I have. Also, after three meetings, I want to put buffers in to like stretch, go for a walk or something. I can't sit at a computer all like Absolutely for hours not. and hours. And, hours. and you shouldn't. No. That's a boundary that I have. I also, oh, one boundary that I would say I have is I don't allow people to scream at me. That is something that I, I don't tolerate. You can be frustrated all you want. And being in HR, there are going to be managers who are frustrated with you. You have every right to be frustrated. You have every right to be disappointed. What you will not do is disrespect me in a conversation, period. Absolutely not. And what happens as soon as, you know, have you been in some really heated situations like that? I have been in situations where people have yelled and I don't yell back, of course. I'm always like, okay, this seems to be, you know, like, it's getting heated, so I would suggest that we regroup. Yeah. And I just st- state it just like that because I'm not going to go back and forth with you, but I'm also not going to allow you to disrespect me. Ever. Like, we are adults. And there's a lot of people who who try to, like, power play you in that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't play that game back either. Like, I'm like, you can, yeah. you can argue with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we can either get th- things done or it's not productive. Yeah, one of the things that I learned from my therapist was you're going to constantly have to teach people how to treat you. And I think when you meet someone, we have to take into consideration that we all have different upbringings, different set of tools in our toolbox, how we communicate, how we manage conflict, how we navigate, you know, when we're disappointed. So I take all these things into consideration because... I know that when I do that, I can extend someone else grace. However, just because I can extend you grace doesn't mean that I'm going to allow the disrespect. So I have no problem teaching you how to treat me because I know that I value me. I'm important to me. And because of that, I'm going to show you what it means to treat me a certain way preach i absolutely love 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 that and that again all the unlearning kind of comes back to like being in your journey and thinking about like what you need for yourself right so i'm thinking like even you know this podcast is almost like my mantra main character and she's like my mantra for like i'm standing in my power i'm not taking your shit and i want to talk to other people who are definitely trying to like take control of their own narrative the same way but boundaries has been definitely like on ongoing thing for me i will share a few of my boundaries too one was the one of the first ones you know of course i was hustling as soon as i kind of went into full-time entrepreneurship because you got to get things off the ground but then it came a point where i was like you know what i i was having you know different clients at the time that needed a lot of attention but 
I'm not emailing you all throughout the night. And I would turn it off. Like, you know, I'd have no notifications on by a certain time. And I'm thinking about days where, you know, maybe at my old full-time corporate jobs, like I'm trying to climb the ladder. I'm trying to be that go-getter and I'm answering things too late or whatever it might be. Had to stop that, like had to really unlearn that and not think like we're out of the girl boss era. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, it's not cute to be no days off anymore. It's not a flex. I will gladly, my boundaries are like, I'm taking my vacation. I will tell you I was on vacation. I used to like try to hide it. Like, no, I was relaxing and I was away so I could be a better person (laughs) and a better person to deal with for you and me. So that's definitely a big one, a big boundary that I have for myself. Mm, I love that. And I think we all get caught up in the hustle and bustle of like trying, especially when everyone else is doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So so if everyone else on your team is sending messages and like slacks at 8 p.m., you feel like you have to do it. And I remember saying to myself one day, like, "Mm, actually, I don't. No, no. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I'm going to be the one. If if they want to be an overachiever, go ahead. Like all my performance reviews were amazing. So I'm like, I don't have this performance issue. I can get my work done between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 or even 7.30 p.m. if I need to stay later. But all that working, all the hours late at night, no, no. That takes a toll on your body. And one of the practices that, because I know you mentioned vacation, but one of the things that I tell clients to do all the time when you come back from vacation, block, block off the first half of your day before you even leave. Why do we fill up the first day after vacation? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I still have I, to tell myself that, like, block it off. That's a great tip. <laughs> I don't know. I remember I had a client and we were rescheduling her session. And she was like, oh, I'm about to go on vacation, but we can do it when I get back on Monday. And I, I had to challenge her a bit. I said, you're coming back from vacation, your first day of work. Do you really think you're going to be in the space to have a coaching session? Good and on you. like, you know what? Why didn't why didn't I think of it? She's like, I'm not really in a space to have any meetings, right? But we don't think to like protect our time that way and like be able to really ease into our day and catch up. Yeah. Well, how else do you like prioritize wellness or your mental health and like your daily routine? Like do, are there certain like morning routines that you have or other kind of like rules that you have with time blocking? Cuz time blocking is like save my life. Yes, time blocking is crucial for me. I have so it's a it looks a little different as an entrepreneur than it did when I was in corporate. So I had like I mentioned when I was working in corporate, I had the morning block, the lunch block, and like the evening block, right, to wrap up for the day and get things done. Now I have about a two and a half hour block in the morning from ten to twelve thirty, and that is just like my most productive time. So whatever I need to get done, I'm just like, okay, this is where you execute. I do have a morning routine, which I love. And people laugh at me because I'm not one of those people who can roll over and just turn their computer on. I'm like, I don't need to speak to humans yet. No, No. I, I need time to myself. I need to figure out my thoughts. I need to strategize. So from like, I wake up around like 6.30 and I meditate, I journal, because I need to get all these thoughts out of my head. (laughs) I'm drinking my coffee, and I'm reading a book. 
So I like to read Sounds like a beautiful. chapter a day. Like I, I love E so much to where I have created my routine to allow me to just ease into the day, which I love. Something else I do is nap. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Like naps are so important. I and like we naps. shame each other. Not really. Like I I don't and my friends don't. People around me don't. But like culturally, like we're not, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not team no sleep. No, mm-hmm. I need sleep. I love sleep. A good nap, a good power nap. I am oh, so yes. much better. Okay. So that. how long is your power nap? Okay. It depends. Like if I'm taking like a power nap, like I just need a quick little nap. I will do like a 30 minute nap. Okay. I keep telling people 30 minute naps are like game changing. I take game changing. Between 20 and 30. Between 20 so and 30. I have this, there's like this meditation that I'll like throw on is for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'll fall asleep with that on. And then by the time I get up, I'm feeling like energized. I love, I do the same thing. Definitely highly recommend to anybody listening. Does it not change your life? It does. It <laughs> and does. it's just quick. And I feel like a lot of people think like a nap needs to be like an hour or two. Like, no, because once you fall into that REM cycle, like you're disoriented, like a nice little meditation into like a 20, 30 minute nap has you feeling like very energized. And why feel like you have to keep going? I see some people who are that team no sleep and burn themselves into the ground. Like, obviously we know about burnout, but what about the fact that like, you're really not productive when you're going on hour 10 and you haven't gotten up and stretched or napped or did something else for a little bit? Like, are you really- For like fresh air. Are you really that productive anymore? Or are you (laughs) just staring at your screen? I know after a certain time, I'm not productive. Nap or not. Yeah. (laughs) Like, let's be real. Once we hit 4.30, I'm just like, yeah, the chances of me, like, powering through something is, yeah, it's a lot. So a lot lot of these things are, like, new systems and things that we've built for ourselves based on our experience being, like, first-generation corporate and, like, being in entrepreneurship and kind of figuring out, like, what works for our schedules and our lives. What are like, what are some of these generational curses that you feel like you've been breaking in, in your experience? Mm, okay. I was thinking about this question, but I didn't think too much about it. No, it's <laughs> One okay. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, like when people say, oh, we got food at home. Listen, there's time, I, I just don't feel like cooking or eating what I have. So that means I need something else. And I know, you know, I'm supposed to budget and do all these things the right way. But sometimes Sometimes the satisfaction satisfaction of ordering ordering out. out, So good. And just eating someone else's food and not having to prep and season and clean and cook and have the oven on in 90 degrees. Oh, my gosh. Like, no. Let's order Uber Eats. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because like, especially when you're doing so many things, it's just sometimes it's the convenience of it all. Like Mm -hmm. I, that's one of mine too. Like I know there's a lot of things that I could do myself, but I am so in the mindset of like, if it can save me time, like I can invest in it. I think I'm definitely, I don't know if that just came with like my thirties or what, but now I'm at a place where I'm like, if I can Instacart it or I can like Uber eats it. And that means that I can like do something else and maximize my time. 
I, I don't feel guilty, but maybe back in the day, I would have felt kind of guilty based on how I was raised. <laughs> yeah, but I also feel like that's part of the work that we do as entrepreneurs. We know that, I know that when I coach a client, I'm going to save them time on how quickly they can advance their careers. You know, when you're working with clients and helping them establish their brands, they're going to be able to enter the marketplace much quicker, right? So I think, yes, it's part of unlearning, but we also are in the business of helping people accelerate their growth. So we understand it a little more differently. So true. We know about like when you invest in something, what you're really getting for it and how exactly. it's kind of giving you a, a head start. Oh, I love that so much. I, I, This conversation, I feel like, is really going to save a life. <laughs> well, that's the plan, right? That's, that's the, plan. the plan. That's the plan. And I really mean it just because of all the work that you have been doing and, you know, just having a safe space to have these conversations. And just to share your experiences here has been fantastic. I just wanted to know as we wrap up, what are some other ways or if you have any other tips for Black women in the workspace just about just taking up space, like advice on how to go about that even like mindset wise? Mm, I love that question. So since we are on the main character energy podcast, I think the mindset is you have to be the main character energy in the job too. You have to bring that energy. Be the main character at, in, in corporate, in tech, wherever you are, show up as the main character. And I say that because if you don't do that, it's easy to be go invisible, become overlooked, be passed over for promotions, opportunities. If nobody knows who you are and you're the best kept secret, then don't expect to advance. Don't expect to gain access to the opportunities that you want. So I would say my advice on mindset is really thinking about how can, how can I show up more powerfully? How can I let my career goals be known? How can I let people see me and what I'm about and also my professional brand? Mm -hmm. And be intentional about it too. Yeah, be talk intentional. Your shit. <laughs> right, talk your <laughs> shit, right? Be intentional about the space that you're entering, how you're navigating it, and giving yourself permission is so important. Mm -hmm. So give yourself permission to show up powerfully, to take up space. And don't let nobody tell you anything differently. So there could be a woman on the team who's like, oh, I wouldn't say that. You should tone it down. Mind your business, sweetheart. I got this. Yeah, I got this. this. between me and God. <laughs> Hello, say it again, because a lot of times when people are doing their respectability politics or trying to tell you what to be, what not to be, it could be coming from a place of either they're feeling threatened or they're still, not even that, it could even be they're still working on themselves. Yes, it's and their limitations. It's their limitations. Sure. They, they are still trying to, They maybe they needed to hear this podcast and hear some of these things to say, okay, I don't have to have this mentality. Yes, and I hope that this message reaches someone who needs to hear it. And that also, if you are looking to take up space, that you're not afraid to ask for support, ask for help. We'll put, I'm sure, my contact information in the show notes. But I think in our community, we don't ask for help. We don't seek out support. And I think the more we get comfortable doing that, the more, you know, we'll start advancing faster. 
will start lifting as we climb, pulling up other people, you know? Um, so I'm really excited for your audience to hear this episode. Oh, I hope that they can feel like they can reach out to you and, you know, great. Cause that's one thing that I will say, like you said, don't be afraid to talk to people and set up time to like have a coffee or chat or whatever. Like you'd be surprised how many people are super willing to do that. And especially when there's information to be passed down, like no gatekeeping here. Sure, sure. Say that again. Say that again. No gatekeeping here, (laughs) period. We are Black women helping other Black women. We stand in that. We're taking up space. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us off with, Shanae? Um, I just want to thank you for having me, for being open to having this conversation. And keep doing what you're doing because I think this whole main character energy, we all should literally be the main character characters so i like i told you when i reached out i love it i love the mission love the name and i think what you're doing is so impactful thank you so much i think what you're doing is impactful too i feel like this is the perfect intersection for for our work and hopefully i i really do hope that it it helps somebody out there and like you said we're going to put your information in the show notes but let us know where to find you and what resources you might have available Sure. So I'm on Instagram at no cream in this coffee um, and also on LinkedIn as Shanae Brown. You'll see this bright pink picture. (laughs) Um, And that is me. Great, great, great. Well, thank you so much again, Shanae. This is an awesome conversation. Can't wait to keep up with you and see what you're doing next. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Main Character Energy. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow on social at Tiff or Die and Main Character Energy Pod to access exclusive content and get a behind-the-scenes look as well as resources to help you become that bitch. See you next week.